0: We don't know how to disagree about important matters. I suppose that's why we are starting this series. Welcome to What Do You Mean God Speaks? Where we explore important stories, ideas, and insights in Christianity. A series for the skeptics who want to understand religious viewpoints, the Christians who have questions about their own beliefs, and everyone in between. But why those people? Let's talk about that today. I'm Paul Sungo and this is our second episode, talking across worldviews, why we need to aim higher than tolerance. Societies are getting more polarized according to the news, That means people who disagree are less willing to listen to the other side, or work together, or even talk to each other. Screaming, sneering, slandering, yes, talking, not so much. Just look at the recent American election, or many elections in the free world nowadays. Now, they show that people who disagree with us are out there. But we can't talk or work together, because we are often too ready to think or believe the worst slander we hear about them. So then what? Run them off our campuses? Appoint our people to the Supreme Court? Make our views into law while our side has the government? It's no wonder our elections sound more and more like death matches. Because we are no longer selecting the best candidates. We are fighting so that the other side don't win and imposes incomprehensible and sinister will over us. But then... We're always so surprised when we don't win or don't win as well as we thought we would because there were so many more people on the other side than we imagined. But we don't understand why, why good, sensible people would hold those views. And we don't talk, so we won't learn. So we get suspicious of foul play, huddle with like-minded people to just simmer and boil until the next election, which will be worse than the last one. That's how it was in the US, wasn't it? We thought 2016 was bad. But 2020 was worse. Is there anyone who thinks 2024 will magically be better when nothing about us has changed? That goes for those of us outside the US who's been watching all that happen. Do we really think that our societies have no danger of heading toward that direction? Because what is broken in our elections, societies or governments, are just reflections of us. Each of us how we talk with others, how we tweet things, the comments we leave on articles or videos, how we engage others online and offline about society, politics, or what's more relevant for us, religion. So I want to explore what I think are two other reasons why we seem to be incapable of disagreeing in ways that can be fruitful rather than, well, toxic. One reason is that when we disagree about issues that are important to us, worldview-level beliefs about justice, identity, truth, meaning of life, God, it's much more difficult than you think to understand the other side. Worse, we often think we know what the other side is saying, when in fact we don't, not the whole picture anyway. But we'll need to get back to that later, after we talk about the second reason. And that is, We aim for tolerance when we should have aimed higher. Now, I think tolerance is a failed virtue. By that, I'm not saying it's somehow bad to be tolerant. I'm saying tolerance is what we are left with when we fail to reach something higher. It's a failed form of a higher virtue. But when we forget that, we will fail at being tolerant as well. How so? Let's start with this. The term toleration historically meant not persecuting people. So those people who have beliefs or values different from you, the society, or the government? Don't kill them, don't lock them up, or drive them from their homes, or throw them to the mobs. Tolerance is that final line we shouldn't cross when disagreeing with people. Now I doubt that this is something most of you who are listening to this need to worry about. After all, you likely live in a more or less tolerant society. But there are many, many places in the world where this still happens. For example, from personal experience, I've met many Christians who arrived in Canada as refugees who were nearly killed or saw their loved ones killed simply for being Christians. For most of us though, killing people who disagree with us isn't on our to-do list, I hope. So what leads us to the screaming, sneering, slandering situation we often have today? Is it because we are still in some way intolerant? But what does it mean to be intolerant where no one is trying to physically kill people for having different views? And I find it's not easy to get a clear answer on that. I mean, what if this person thinks you're deeply wrong about something and tells you so very strongly? What if they say your views are not just wrong, but harmful? Are they being intolerant? Or is it okay as long as they're not being well, offensive about it, or hurt our feelings. But who gets to say what's hurtful or offensive? What I may find offensive or hurtful may be, for you, just a way to critically question things. But there's a bigger problem. Should we be tolerant of people we think are very wrong about issues that matter? Issues that involve truth, justice, life or death matters, like, say, climate change, systemic racism, Human rights? Free speech? I mean, we should be tolerant as in not kill them, but should we be respectful of their views when instead they need to be confronted or at least corrected? But the thing is, aside from simplistic caricatures, in any really complex issue, it's rare to find one side having all the right answers and the other all the wrong ones. Our views almost always overlook something. And of course, in the meanwhile, those you think should be corrected are likely thinking the same of you. Not only that, people also differ on what they think are important matters that other people should be corrected on. Some people think that about animal rights. Some others about the environment. Others think that about, well, religious beliefs like salvation or God. And for yet others, those are just personal opinions you should just keep to yourself. Then those same people tend to insist on correcting people on things they think matter. You see, it's easy to feel tolerant about views we don't care about. And maybe that's why there's an old saying that polite dinner conversation shouldn't include topics like religion or politics. We should just refrain from talking about things that people care about and have very different views on. But the thing is, you can't avoid talking about those things indefinitely. Time comes when you have to, like during an election year. That's when we see how good we are at disagreeing with each other, or rather in our case, how bad we are at it. I think we don't know how to disagree because we aim merely for tolerance. See, that sort of works when all we are aiming for is don't kill people who disagree with you. But anything more like working together becomes really difficult when it becomes about things that matter to us. Because there's nothing about tolerating people that changes our inner attitude toward them, something that will make us willing to talk to them when we'd rather ignore them or treat them with contempt. Our challenge, after all, is the following. To actually hold on to our convictions and live by them so that we disagree, even strongly, with people with different views, yet Do so in a manner that we are not only willing to talk to each other, but where our conversations are fruitful and lead us to respect each other more. And mere tolerance can't get us there. So what should he have aimed for then? It sounds cliche, but Christians would say, love. But there's a problem with that. People can justify all sort of abuse in the name of love. Denigrate your views, disparage your life, demean your actions, to correct you for your good, because they love you. Yes, Christians also do this, a lot. We'll need to get into why in some other episode. But for now, we need to explore this idea of love further. Apostle Paul wrote a passage in this letter to a church that's often read at weddings today, though he was writing about how Christians should treat other people in general. I suppose it's read at weddings because we're saying, At least do this for the one you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Anyway, he writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Now much of this is quite straightforward. But let me highlight some ideas here that's more subtly implied and easy to miss, but they are very pertinent for when we get into disagreement. One is an exhortation to humility. Now humility does not mean having low opinions about ourselves. Rather it's a genuine openness to see our own limitations, so be willing to listen, learn, and grow without our egos getting in the way. Second is faith. Why faith? Because not everyone will engage with us in goodwill. Some people we talk to may indeed be terrible people telling spiteful lies. So what would make us take the risk to reach out to those who disagree with us? Faith. So that we would, as Paul writes in the letter, always trust and always hope. That those who disagree with us are worth engaging in humility, even when they don't seem to be at first then we need perseverance. Because doing all this is hard and takes too long and will often disappoint us. Things may not go well, even with the best of intentions. So what keeps us from quitting? Perseverance. And as we do so, the letter warns us that we need to keep ourselves to account. Because in our conversation, we may be motivated by pride or anger to uncover the flaws and faults of others or to put them in their place, or to ignore any points they make that we secretly know are true, or at least could be true. So we must keep watch over ourselves. And what's important is that this is how we are to treat others, whether or not we think they've earned this treatment. Because frankly, we haven't earned it either. But maybe all this sounds too idealistic, naive even. Fair enough. I think we more often than not would fail at it, and pretty badly too. But the thing is, the effort would have likely left us with a proper tolerance for others. Or at least, know what a genuine tolerance looks like, one that has more substance than the kind that evaporates as soon as someone disagrees with us about an issue we care about. So this series, What Do You Mean God Speaks?, is for those who want to be properly tolerant in the conversation about religious beliefs, so we can explore some key stories, insights, and ideas in Christianity. And maybe disagree fruitfully. Remember though that there was a first reason why we are so bad at disagreeing. That it's really hard to understand people who hold very different views from us. This is a serious problem. You see, I don't think being very critical or even disliking the views of others necessarily lead to intolerance. Rather, it's when we disparage their views, without really understanding it, yet have this mindset that we know all we need to know about it. Think about it. If some people have views we think are clearly wrong, or makes no sense, or even outright horrible, the obvious question is, why would they hold those views? Well, it comes down to one of two scenarios. One be that we are missing something that we don't really know their views, and that's why it seems so wrong to us. Second is, we didn't miss anything we really do know, and that means people who hold these views are irrational, ignorant, or evil. But if so, why should we tolerate them to speak? Now, there are terrible views and terrible people, no doubt about that. But here's a rule of thumb. We should start worrying if we find more and more people in our society to be so intellectually and morally bankrupt that they don't deserve our genuine engagement or respect. And we should get really worried if it turns out, rather conveniently, that those bankrupt people just always happen to be those who disagree with us. Because that's when we need to take a long, sober look at ourselves. Now, you may be asking, wouldn't it be obvious whether we know what they believe or not? For example, what if we can state their beliefs or quote what they say? Well, perhaps you can. But here's one thing to consider. Just being able to state what others believe or say is often inadequate. You need to know how their beliefs fit together as a whole, what each word or term really means to them, and why they make sense. Thinking we know what others believe or say without understanding that full view can lead to what I call a translation problem. Here's an example of one of those. So at the height of the Cold War between the US and the Soviet Union, then-Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev told the West in a speech, we will bury you. Or at least that's how this statement was translated and stated to the Western audience. Now the Soviets had recently tested a hydrogen bomb, and bury you is very, uh, mobster for American years, so they took his words as threatening nuclear war and responded accordingly. But the statement actually fit within the larger communist view that capitalist societies will self-destruct and quote, create their own grave diggers. So what he was in fact saying was that the Soviets will outlast the capitalist West and so witnesses fall and be there for its metaphorical burial. Yes, it is ironic how that thing turned out. Anyway, the problem was that the West did not try to understand the Soviet statement within its proper context and connections, and the Soviets did not try to make themselves understood for the Western audience. And all this was over a relatively simple translation problem, whereas the kind of difficulty in understanding the key ideas of a different worldview is greater than this by several order of magnitude. Take the idea of God all-powerful, all-knowing, benevolent entity that created our world, and now watches us from heaven. Theists believe, atheists disbelieve, seems simple enough. Except that it's not. There's already a basic misunderstanding between how atheists and theists view their disagreement about God. Atheists typically think that the theists just believe one more entity than they do, namely God. But strictly speaking, God is not an entity. We talked about that in the first episode. And it gets even more complicated. Some theists argue that atheists who believe in, say, truth or morality, or that the universe is rational or beautiful, actually believe in God. They just don't know it. And the atheists respond that believing in those principles do not mean that they additionally believe in an entity like God. But for Christians, or say Muslims, commitment to truth goodness or reason simply means commitment to God. They are not what leads you to additionally believe that some other entity exists. They are the same thing. And this is why some religious people are often genuinely puzzled when hearing about atheists who disbelieve God yet hold moral values. So all this should at least suggest that the issue is not about the theists simply believing in one more entity than the atheists do. Of course. Other points are often misunderstood too. For example, God's not simply in heaven beyond this world. After all, Christians say they can perceive God in their lives here in this world just as how you could perceive someone you're conversing with, whatever that means. So there seems to be a translation problem in their disagreement. What one side means by God is not quite what the other side means. But it's hard to notice. A lot harder than noticing that what the Soviets meant by bury you is not what the Americans thought it meant. That's why in the first episode, I tried to offer a translation of the idea of God that may make better initial sense to those who don't believe in God. God is reality. It was an incomplete translation, to be sure, but hopefully a better start. Something that will let us go and ask a more fruitful question, which is, should we relate to reality as who or what. But doing all of this is hard. Trying to understand other worldviews is hard. Trying to properly translate and convey your ideas to people with those other worldviews, that's even harder. Genuine, fruitful conversation with them is a real challenge with a real risk of running into suspicion and hostility. But if we don't try, we will only have two options when we disagree with people about what matters to us. Hate them or ignore them. Too often, we are tempted to lean toward hate. Or else we settle with ignore and call that tolerance. But we are aiming higher than tolerance, and that's why this series is for the skeptics who want to understand religious views, and the Christians with questions because they are trying to understand people who don't believe what they believe, and everyone in between. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoy this content and want to hear more, Please subscribe, follow, and share. This has been a double episode release to celebrate the series launch. I hope you'll join me next time on December 22nd for the third episode, Why Christmas Starts From Despair, Krampus, Santa Claus, and Love Beyond All Hoop. Until then, I will be waiting here. Wait, snarking is still okay though, right? Because I snark at people sometimes. Do people still even use that works?